and welcome to the Will Preach for Food podcast. My name is Doug. I'll be your preacher today. They say that confession is good for the soul, and they're right. Confession breaks the cycle of sin, opens us up to the mercy of God. Confession begins in sorrow, but it ends in joy. That's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, to do that, we're going to need the Bible. So open it up to Genesis chapter 3. Actually, we'll go back to Genesis chapter 2, at the 15th verse, where it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and take care of it. The Lord God commanded the man, You're to, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The story goes on to say that the serpent... This is in chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the, the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The first few pages of the Bible quickly lay out an understanding of the human condition, how things are. God created everything, including you and me, and it's a good creation. Humans are created in God's image and likeness. We're given the opportunity to know and to relate to God and to each other in profound ways. We're also given the responsibility to care for each other and for all creation. So some take this story from Genesis chapter 3, the story of the Garden of Eden, uh, as a factual account, but most of the Jewish and Christian tradition over the centuries has seen it as prehistory, and it's mostly understanding a way of describing the problem of the human condition, what we call sin. So as the scene is set, God had one rule, don't eat from the fruit of that one tree. So what do Eve and Adam do? Well, they disobey, and they eat some of the fruit, and that is sin. What they do next is also sin. They try to cover it up. Literally, they invent clothes. Then they hide from God, and when that doesn't work, they blame each other, they blame the snake, they even blame God. Why did you make such a stupid rule in the first place? Well, this is what sin is, the Bible says. All of it, from the fruit, to the blame, to the clothes, all of it. The initial disobedience is a thing, but it's the cover-up that really damages the relationship with God, it seems to me. That's the thing that complicates the relationships with each other, uh, and spills over to complicate and twist our relationship with God's creation. Think about it. Adam and Eve disobeyed God's command, and their remedy was to cover up their guilt by covering up their nakedness. Well, nakedness has nothing to do with this sin. But nowadays, because of the cover-up, we all have we have all sorts of shame and secrecy around body image and sexuality, further complicating perpetuating the cycle of sin. I mean, think about it. God doesn't have a problem with bodies. We do. So here we are. We disobey. We try to cover it up with denials, minimizing, blaming, distraction. The result is broken trust between people, apprehension toward God, 
the twisted perception of creation. Most of the conversation about sin and morality tends to focus on avoiding the disobedience in the first place, which is also a good idea. We ought to avoid disobedience whenever possible. I can't help but wonder what would have happened if Eve and Adam had just fessed up. More to the point, what would life look like if you and I, when we disobeyed God, what if we were to resist the urge to cover it up? What if we were to confess our sins to God and to one another on a regular basis as a way of life? Well, that's the kind of life with God that is described in Psalm 32. So I'm going to turn here to my handy-dandy Bible, to Psalm 32. Psalm 32 says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, the psalmist writes, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, your, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Those first couple verses, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin God does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. Now, a quick clarification here. Read this as a poem, an expression of joy and release. When I get up in the morning, pour my coffee, sit down, take a sip of that nectar of life, I might say something like, there is nothing better than a cup of coffee in the morning. Now, you understand that I'm not asserting an objective universal truth. I'm not judging a person who doesn't like coffee, although I do. I'm telling you... <laughs> I'm telling you about my own experience of the coffee in the morning. In the same way, the writer of the psalm is singing a song of delight of having experienced the mercy of God. Generally speaking, we shouldn't read the psalms as though they were theological essays. They're inspired. They're poems. So you see in verses 3 and 4, uh, he recalls, how much shame and guilt he had been carrying around because of a recent sin. He says it feels like a weight on his shoulders. It was exhausting. But then in verse 5, he says, Then I acknowledged my sin and did not cover up my iniquity. There is nothing better than the mercy of God, he says, even better than coffee in the morning. That's what the Bible says in Psalm 32, and other Bible authors agree. In a book called 1 John, a letter, uh, the writer says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Another place in the Bible, a guy by the name of James wrote this, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Confession is good for the soul. Author Richard Foster writes this about the practice of confession. 
At the heart of God is the desire to give and to forgive. The usual notion of what Jesus did on the cross runs something like this. People were so bad and so mean and God was so angry that uh, so angry with them that he couldn't forgive them unless somebody big enough took the rap for the whole lot of them. But nothing could be further from the truth, Foster writes. Love, not anger, brought Jesus to the cross. He writes, the death of Jesus came as a result of God's great desire to forgive, not God's reluctance to forgive. Confession begins in sorrow, he writes, but it ends in joy. Confession truly is good for the soul, for you, for our relationships, and for all creation. So the scripture invites us to ask the question, what's keeping you up at night? What weighs heavily on your heart? Are your bones wasting away? And you are afraid to say anything or talk about it? What the Bible argues is that if you are human, you probably have something today that you need to confess. And if you can't think of anything, then you're probably in denial. But here's the thing. Whatever you've done in the past, whatever it is that has you out of step with God right now, your sin doesn't change or diminish God's love for you. Here's the other truth. That when we hold it in, when we try to cover it up or pretend it isn't there or isn't important, well, that kills us. It's what's killing you. It's what's killing our nation. It's what's killing our planet. Today, the Holy Spirit is calling us to confess, inviting us to confess, to confess our sin, our disobedience, but also to confess our attempts to cover up our sin, to confess our twisted perceptions. The Bible promises that confession and prayer bring healing. So the question of confession is really a question, what do you need healing for? What do you need healing from? I want to name two possible places of healing and forgiveness and mercy that many of you, many of us, are facing today. Grief and depression. Now, grief is not a sin. But grief, the feeling of grief, grief the feeling of loss, can make us feel isolated, scared. can make us harder for us to know and to trust God's mercy and faithfulness. Grief is real. Grief is debilitating. It can undo us. Here at Faith Lutheran Church, we have a new grief group that, um, that's starting on Thursdays. I hope wherever you are, I worked at hospice for a little while, and, and most hospice centers or hospitals have some kind of a grief support group. Or maybe your church has one, or maybe you can start one there. The point is, that, is to have a place where you can talk about your loss. Talk about your feelings. Bury your soul. Receive mercy. There is hope. There is light and healing. You are not alone. Depression, likewise, is not a sin. But I bring it up now because it's, it's so often connected to that twisted perception of reality or our guilt or a broken relationship or feelings of inadequacy. We get mixed up about who God is and who we're supposed to be. And it leads to a, a, a sin-sick heart. I have a heart today for folks who are dealing with depression and suicidal thoughts. 
You feel isolated or ashamed. You feel like you're unworthy or alone or in such a deep pit that no one can ever hear you or rescue you or love you. And I am here to tell you that there is forgiveness. You are not alone. There is hope. There is light. There is healing. You are a precious child of God, created in God's image and likeness. There is nothing that can separate you from God's love. Sin is a problem. Depression is a problem. But God's mercy is stronger than sin. It is stronger than your depression. If you need someone to talk to, shoot, email me. I'll, I'll track you down. Go to a pastor, to a trusted friend. Find somebody that you can just say, I'm lonely, I'm scared, I need help. By God's grace and by the Holy Spirit's power, I believe that God's going to put somebody in your path who will be able to listen to you without judgment, without minimizing or justifying or fixing you. We are all in this together. They say that confession is good for the soul, and they're right. Confession breaks the cycle of sin, opens us up to the mercy of God. Confession begins in sorrow, as Richard Foster says, but it ends in joy. So, are you ready to confess? Probably not. So, let's confess that we are slow to confess. And then let's pray for the strength, the courage, and the faith to go from there. May it be so. Amen. Oh,